see, Brian, that's what I got to do right there. <laughs> you took Brian, me out on that. <laughs> Brian's already laughing, and, and I just got started. It fit right in. Yeah. This see? is going to be wild. Oh, yeah. All right, so look, y'all already know, we got some special guests in the house today. We got Brian Wilson and Brandon Lacey, but Brian and Brandon, don't let me mess up the church names, all right? So... Go ahead and tell us. Brian, we'll start with you, and then we'll go to Brandon. What church you at? What's going on with that? I'm at Galilee Missionary Baptist Church in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, right now, since the pandemic, just some of the things we're trying to do is we offer free COVID-19 testing every Thursday. There you We've really? kind of partnered with the um, Beard Foundation yeah. and um, 100 Black Men, and so they are pretty much funding the effort. However, we're kind of allowing them to gather on the campus. It's a pretty large campus and use some of the facilities. Um, and I just got a text. I think it was like 200 people literally like going down Pier Avenue. Right now. Right now as we speak, trying to get tested. So wow. I think it shows you just the, um, the need yeah, in man. our community for many people wanting Dude, to get I, tested. Man, so. thanks for opening up the church to do that. That's yeah, awesome, yeah. though, so man. So that's, that's every Thursday. What's the address? What, what, 1500 what? Pier Avenue, Shreveport, okay. Louisiana. Isn't that if you're going down 20 and the 49 exit and then it's yep. the next exit? Mm. Yeah, I put in your sound system. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll be talking after this. Hey, <laughs> because I sure did. Brian, it, it ain't doing good. Is what you said. No. It's, well, hold on. Hey, it, it's, it's not him, Mr. Operator. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. we go let talk. Let me, oh, we can help let you me just that. say, I helped put in the sound system. Yeah. I didn't actually put it in. Yeah, but we'll be talking after this. <laughs> we'll try to get that straight. Yes, sir. Please. All right, Brandon, where are you at, my man? All right. New Life Full Gospel House of Worship here in Shreveport. It's in the Cedar Grove area of Shreveport. A lot of history especially in regards to civil rights over there in Cedar Grove and 7937 Lion Avenue. That's it. Is the address. If anybody listening and watching is from the Shreveport area and you know where A.B. Palmer Park is, very small building right across the street from A.B. Palmer Park. There you go. Yeah. This is what I'm talking about saying. For you guys that don't know, that's right. There, You're on YouTube as well. Right. See, awesome. So, yeah. awesome. so we, we do both. So you'll be able to hear it on podcast, and then if your people want to be able to watch on YouTube, they can do that as well. Good deal. So this is why I want the people to know I am excited that you guys have decided to come and hang out with us and talk because we have been doing some Zoom calls with Laura Alderman. Laura hooked me and you up, Brandon, as right. far as our first meetings or whatever. And then, Brian, I, it was so cool to just get to hear y'all's heart. And I said, man, would y'all be willing to do a podcast? And both of you said, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Sir. So this is what we're doing. We've been talking now for a couple of weeks, right. obviously, mm -hmm. with everything going on. But we wanted to set up a time for our people, the listeners that are kind of tuning in to the Backstage Assembly Church, to get a different take because everybody's got questions. Everybody's trying to figure it out. And we're trying to figure it out. Right. right. You know, so I don't know if you guys want to talk about if you enjoyed what Laura's been doing as far as putting us all on the same Zoom call to kind of walk through that. Just talk through that. Well, absolutely. First, let me just recognize and shout out Laura, who's just been a wonderful friend, not even just in this effort. I've known her uh, for quite some time, and we, we've worked together on a couple of projects, of course, in the educational realm. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I, I think that what she and others have done, but primarily her being the catalyst behind creating these conversations, is doing just that, mm -hmm. creating a conversation and giving an opportunity for perspectives to be heard without judgment and penalty. And I think that goes a long way in bringing us to a place where we can really deal with this, this racism and social injustice issue. So I think it's been uh, a, a marvelous thing that, that we've done. Yeah. Brian, what do you feel? 
totally agree with Brandon. Um, it's been a blessing. I, this is my first time meeting Laura. Okay. And um, so just getting a connection, yeah. um, bringing us together, bring, really bringing me and Brandon back together. <laughs> right. I mean, we, we Y'all kinda, went to school together is we, what you said. We went to school together. We also kind of started in ministry mm -hmm. um, around the same time. Um, when I was in seminary, Brandon came and spoke at the church back right. home when I had like a little um, youth revival youth or something revival. like that. That's and right. um, at that particular time, he was at a, um, a son of the house. Correct. And uh -huh. so really just to see his growth. But in that time, we've kind of grown apart from one another, not yeah. on purpose, but right. just sure. through ministry. So to bring me and Brandon back together was was big, I mm -hmm. feel like. And um then just to introduce me, I think I think I was probably one of the one of the pastors that probably didn't have the diverse <clears throat> circle of of, um, of friends in ministry. Um, and so this has kind of brought opened up that world for me. Um, That's awesome. And, and I appreciate Laura for for allowing me to meet people like you. Oh um, yeah, hey, listen, man, it's my privilege. Absolutely. So, so let's go into that. Let's get because a lot of people don't know y'all's story. So we'll start with who, whichever. It don't matter. Whoever wants to go first, just kind of your grow your your back your backstory. You know where you went to school locally. You know mm -hmm. kind of things going on. Then how you got in the ministry because y'all went to college together. You said right. that's now, right. What, what, we're what rivals college? in high school. So. <laughs> we it, it's it's interesting because when we were in high school at that time. Um, we we both attended rival high school, which is probably at that time hated one of the other. one of you the did. biggest. Yeah, they. Yeah. Now, that's keeping yeah. it real, Brian. Yeah. Season now he's saying. Yeah, it, yeah. Now, what what high school is this? What, I, I went to Fair Park, and I was at Huntington. Yeah. Ooh, no, so that's you, a Raider and the Indian right there. You son. talk to you talk to especially in the African American culture who are familiar with those two schools back in the nineties. That's what the heat was. Like that's what <laughs> it was bad. That man. was that was, was that bad. was one of the biggest games. Yeah. In bad, the city man. at that time, when Hunter and Fell Park played, you knew that you was getting ready. Now to get is this a show. basketball and football? Well, we were in the band together. We were in the band. We in the band, but, marching but it band. Didn't, it was everything. So it was rivalry. It didn't matter. It was matter. everything. Yeah. If it was basketball, you had to be at the game an hour before, an hour and a half, mm -hmm. if you wanted to get in, because they wow. were shutting the game down by the time the boys' oh, yeah. game started. If you were in foot, if you were at the football, now the football teams were terrible. <laughs> But, but we had the, the best bands oh, yeah. in the yeah. city and really down Louisiana. And so it was a big rival. I stayed in Fair Park neighborhood. I uh -huh. went to school at Huntington. It was so bad. <laughs> I was the drum major at Huntington my senior year. Wow. And so but I stayed around nothing but Fair Park people. Yeah. My friends were Fair <laughs> Park people. This is honest to God truth. I would come home from band practice and the Fair Park band members will be standing at the <laughs> will be standing at the stop sign with their instruments blowing music while, oh, yeah. I'm, while I'm coming home in my car. No, they like, did not. Like it I dare a... you to get out your car <laughs> and play your horn against us. I promise this is like every day. And understand this is in the nineties. Mm -hmm. There is no social media. Oh yeah, you have not on, that. we're not on computers like a lot of the kids are now. Oh yeah. yeah. So all we had was whatever extracurricular activity we That's were a awesome, part of. Man. So if yeah. you were in the band, that was life. That oh, yeah. was life all day, every day. Now what'd y'all play? Speaking of that though, so hold on, because y'all both band. He's the mate. Yeah. You're you're the drum major, but What'd you and Brandon, I think Brandon, I think he was in line to be drum major. I kind of remember the rumors back then of of Brandon being. I don't know how what well, happened, but I think he was in line to be the drum major at Fell Park. So yeah, I, didn't, I don't want him to sell himself short. Well, I, being up. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to come off my instrument. I played drums. Okay. I was a, I was in the percussion section, 
and we it was it was it was a little it was a a, a code that we have in the drum section that when you in the drum section you don't lean. And so they, they, the opportunity for me to be drum major was there, but I didn't want to come out of the drum section, so I, I passed it up. Now, what'd you play for? You were the drum major, alto sax. Ooh, can yeah. you still play it? I can. Yeah. Well, we might need you. Cause nah. we pulled, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, don't, don't be saying no, bro. Dude, we trying to come together. If, if we get we that, we are, but not with the saxophone. We got to find out. I like how honest he said, no, no, I ain't doing that it, bro. Happen, what about them drums, B? If I need you on them drums, Brandon, I'm, you're gonna have to call my son. I let my son take that. Okay, my no, son, he can. Up, he, he's training and he's learning. He's nine years old right okay. now, and he can. He can keep your beat. And that's he can, awesome. He's learning how to get in the pocket and all that stuff. So I pass that on to him. That's Let's good. All right, yeah. so let's get back to because we got you back your high school. Then where'd y'all go to college? The world fame, Gramlin State University. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Both yeah. of you. Yeah. Did y'all graduated yeah. around the same time or no? Well, I didn't stay long enough to graduate. Yeah, okay. I, um, I graduated in 2004. Wow. But we were in the band together. Yeah. Y'all went, y'all, so y'all went from rivals to in the same yeah. grammar, man. Y'all were on the same team, them. Yeah, yep. and there was some fun days, man. Oh, I bet oh, so, yep. man. Yeah. Yep. That's crazy. Yep. What was y'all's major in, in school? Uh, computer information systems for me. Yeah, mine, mine was supposed to be accounting, but I, I went to school and did absolutely nothing <laughs> but band. <laughs> There ain't no hating, Brandon. <laughs> Look, I'm being, I, I don't hide it. No, I, you got to keep it real. It's a part of who I am. You got to keep it real. There's a lot more people that can understand where you're coming from than where Brian is. I promise you. I, I, I agree. I, you know, I agree. it took me three, it took me four times to go to school to finally stay and get my degree. I finally did it. Um, but when I first went to Grandin in 2000, all I did was ban. Yeah, and we we got people on our staff that failed out of LSU. I ain't saying no names. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I not no. Don't look at Scott. Wasn't me. No, wasn't yeah. me. <laughs> we, hey, we got a kid on our video team. He's a great guy. His name's Adam. Water. he didn't fail out, but he went and was on the national championship run. He was the videographer for the national championship and just came home to work for us. But he's a great wow. kid. But yeah. same thing, it's hard to it's hard to go to school and be young yeah. and enjoy it, have all the fun yeah. and then try to get your grades. So he's and coming back to kind of figure that out and then go on. But you, 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 know. you know, if you go down there and you don't have that sense of purpose and, and actually have an understanding of what why you're there, uh, it can be difficult. Oh, and that's yeah. a, you know, we that's a biblical discussion. We talk about purpose all the time and how it plays a part in, in success. And I just wasn't ready. Yeah, you know, I, oh, I yeah. wasn't ready. And uh, you know, there were some things going back on at home with my mom. My mom, of course, single mother. Yeah. And uh, left two sisters at home, and so things were going on at home too that kind of distracted me. So I ended up staying home. That it, that, that it ain't much semester. different though. See, I got a graduating senior. My daughter just graduated. So yeah. she's trying to figure it out too. Yeah. So just so you know, it's it's yeah, it's man. both. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Because you just don't know. So yeah. she's thinking she may go to Bibsy or stay close, to, especially with COVID and all the crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I spend all that money to go off and not even be able to go to class, maybe yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But so I feel you on that. So yeah. so what what was your family life, your home life like, Brian? Man, I was raised by a single mother. She was uh, physically handicapped. Um, wow. So yeah, I have never seen my mother walk before when she was living. Yeah. Um. And so I was pretty much raised that way, me and my brother. Um, my father was, they, they divorced when I was maybe like four years mm-hmm. old. He And uh, he was a educator as well, he, basketball coach and all that, high school and stuff. And um, But whatever, whatever took place with them, uh, we spent a lot more time with mama than we did with daddy. 
in, wow. in that whole process yeah. um, for whatever reason. Yeah. <clears throat> so pretty much it was me, my brother, and my mom. Mm -hmm. And uh, she she just she did what she had to do. She was an educator, but she was forced to retire out of the school system because of her physical disability. Yeah. And so she was forced to retire early. And so pretty much I think maybe after about 15 years in the system, she had to retire. Wow. And so um, she just pretty much just full time concentrated on me and my brother raising us with whatever she had. And uh, she did that. She was a musician in the church though. So a lot of, a lot of uh, my exposure came from her being a musician in the church. She's yeah. played in the church all my life. Yeah. And so, um, that that's that's how we were raised and she was big on education yeah making sure that we got out of the situation that we were in that's cool um she was big on god mm -hmm. as of course and uh, as a pastor now you <laughs> right 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 and so man that's that's pretty much how, how we were brought up you know a single parent and um we just did the best we could did she get to see you be a pastor she did that's she awesome. did. She passed away uh, probably about six years ago. Yeah, my mom too, right around the same time. Yeah, yeah. So she passed away, and um, she was tripping on me being a pastor, though. My mom was. Yeah. So my mom, my mom, <laughs> she's like, I don't check this out. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> my mom but, cried mm -hmm. when I told her I, I felt the call to preach. That's she awesome. cried, and she went crying tears of joy. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. She said, "Oh, she Lord. was crying tears of sorrow." And I understand now. Yeah, to this day, I reflect back on it and I say, man, it's almost like she saw what was coming. Mm -hmm. I mm. didn't understand it at that time. I've been preaching 20 years now. Wow. So I didn't understand it 20 years ago. But I understand it now. Like the sorrow that comes mm -hmm. with being a pastor, man, the burden that comes with mm -hmm. it. Oh, yeah. And I see it now because my sons, they, 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 they try to be like me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's what they want. They're going to do. Ultimately, I don't right. know if that's what God's purpose is, but right now it's about impersonating their dad. Oh, yeah. So right now, whatever they see me do, so they just walk around the house with little books like they Bibles and they preaching all the time, wow. right? Mm -hmm. and, and I don't even encourage it. I don't discourage it either. Right. But I look at it and I feel sorrow because right. I'm saying in my, in my mind, man, if, if, if God uses them to do ministry, like yeah. I know the challenges that yeah. come with it. Wow. You know, he sees or they see the pulpit. They see me preaching and they see people waving at me, saying amen, go pastor, hugging me after church. But what they don't see is mm -hmm. what takes place no, after church. True. Yeah, no, it's true, man. You know, that's like that's that's like that's like the gutter of ministry, man, mm -hmm. where I mean, it's a lot of stuff down there in that gutter. Yep. You know, that that's not presented on Sunday mornings. And oftentimes, man, the pastor takes that. He's human, mm -hmm. or right. she's human. That's right. And so we we take that with us, man. Yeah. And, and even though we understand forgiveness, we pray. It's it's it sits with us. Oh, yeah. you know when the stuff people say to you, yep. you know that triggers insecurities oh. within oh, sure. you. Yeah, they Absolutely. don't even think about the impact of of mm -hmm. their words on you. They just dumping it all on you, and yeah. you're just like, man. And so I see my sons, and I understand now. What mom was talking about about that burden of mm -hmm. preaching, it's real. Yeah, you know it's real. And yeah. So, hey, and you know what's good about it though, right now, man, we get to kind of unload that and that's help why each other. Yeah. And, and that's where <laughs> yeah. Laura, that's where Laura helps. Yep. We connected me. Oh yeah, because uh, yeah, because you don't have to, you know, feel like you're doing it alone. Because I think we can all relate to that. Absolutely. So real fast, though, and then we'll move to Brandon. But kid, how, you, you mentioned your kids. What do you say? You have two. I got two boys, and I just had a girl about Ooh, two months ago. Me well, and my well, wife. Congratulations. Yep. Man. Yep. Yeah. Three. That's what I got. Three too. So yeah. I, I feel you on that. What are they? You said two boys and a girl. Yeah, four. So one I got two girls and, and a boy. Two months old. 
Four one. Oh, no wonder you so tired, son. Man, tired. Man. <laughs> that you even made this podcast. You need to yeah, get some mad man, respect let me tell right you there. Something. I thought twice. <laughs> <laughs> but I showed up anyway. Hey, man. I gave you my <laughs> word. I'm going to give you free lunch, phone, baby. I'm going to feed you. Thank I'm you, man. We're going to try to take care twice. of you. I was like, man, these kids, man, oh, I can't do it. I'm going to do it. Hey, dude. B, I thank you. Yeah, man. All right, so, Brandon, give me a little bit on your family and your. That, that's, some, and now. that's some similarities there. I was raised by a single mother as well. Um, <clears throat> I, I grew up pretty much every bad community. When I say bad, I'm using that term not from a, my perspective on it, but just from the dynamics in the neighborhoods. Yeah. Pretty much every you know impoverished neighborhood in the city. We bounced around a lot because of my mother's situation. Uh, my mother's one of the strongest people I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. um, for the majority of my childhood, she battled drug addiction. Because, wow. of course, you know, in the 80s, that's when, you know, uh, crack really hit oh, yeah. our neighborhoods. And uh, she battled that pretty much all the way up until high school. Um, as a testimony in itself, she was able to break free of that. Just God just delivered her from that. And cool. uh, she made up in the mind she wanted to do better for us. And, and I mean, just... Every time I see her, uh, her strength just encourages me, yeah. you know, from some of the stuff that she survived. She just, uh, she's right now in the midst of a battle with stage four uh, cancer. I heard she that She has a yesterday. very rare form of cancer. But if you look at it, you never know it. She's um, a battle, man. She's I a mean, fighter. She, she always has a smile on the face. And, and you know, I think that's where I get a lot of my strength and perseverance from. Um, I grew up only boy, middle child, three of us, two sisters. Um, my my family, I mean, that just the epitome of strength, man. We've we've overcome so much, and so shouts out to all of my 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 aunts, my cousins mm -hmm. um, that have just always been the backbone and all have always supported me even in ministry. Um, they they kind of responded to my call a little bit different. Um, they were all kind of excited, especially my great aunt who probably is the reason why I have a God consciousness, yeah. you know, because her, between her and my grandfather, they stayed on us about church, mm -hmm. you know, um, kept, kept, she taught me how to pray. My great aunt taught That's me nice. the, the, the model prayer and made sure I was in Sunday school and things of that nature. And it, it, that's a testimony in itself because, of course, as I got older and became a teenager, you know, I strayed away from a lot of that. But as as Proverbs tells us, if you train up a child in the way that they should go, when they get old, they won't depart mm -hmm. from it. And so as I got older and began to have my own experiences, even when you're going back to the college thing that we talked about and began to have those life experiences, I began to draw on all those things that my great aunt, my grandfather instilled in me to develop a relationship with, with God That's on my cool. own. Um, I've been in ministry going on 15 years. Um, he started when he was 18, sound like Brian, right? 19, there. Yeah. 19, yeah. Yeah, he was, because I remember yeah. even going back to our Gramlin days, I mean, he was he was a, a, a wealth of knowledge when it came down to spiritual things. I was not, on the other <laughs> hand. I was I was, I was, was trending in the hey, other Brian, direction. You ain't hating uh, you, you just stay. <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, so, and, and, and even as he said, I'm glad we, we've got a chance to reconnect. Because even back then, man, I, I, I admired his ability to in the midst of what was going on at, at Gramlin to still be a light and a witness for Dude, Jesus. That's awesome. 
Um, and so I just, you know, want to shout him out on that, you know, and um, leaving Grambling, coming back home and just beginning to develop a relationship with God myself. Um, I've been married as long as I've been preaching. My wife came to my first sermon, uh, even when she wasn't my wife. We, would, we had just started dating. The, the suit that I preached my first sermon in, my wife bought it. Um, so I said to myself, well, if she believe in me that much, I may as well keep her because she obviously <laughs> wow. sees something in, my, in me that I don't. That's awesome. Um, so shout out to my wife, who's been a supporter of me, you know, since day one. And so I've been I've been preaching as long as I've been married, married 15 years. Uh, we celebrated our 15th uh, anniversary back in April. Three kids as well. So we all have that oh, in yeah. common. Yeah. I have a 12 year, a 14 year old daughter who's the oldest, a 12 year old son and a nine year old son. Um, if we were Brian, hold on a second. So all yours is babies. Ours is grown. Ours are getting on man, the grown I, side. We yeah. came. We man, my wife came out the gate swinging. <laughs> <Yeah>. We did too. <laughs> so, so I got married late and got babies late. Hey, that's right. See, yeah. that's but see what happens is reason we're trying to keep it real is the older you get, the harder it is. See, so we got to encourage you. Tell we got to lift you it. up, you man. Lift me up, man. <laughs> see, lift we, me up. We we got we got married in April oh, of '05. Um, she was pregnant. By the end of May. That's what I'm um, talking about. So we wasted no time. Not on purpose. Um, it was, It was. I mean, if you yeah, ever. Yeah, that's if, on if, purpose, bro. If, if, you ever, if, you ever, if you ever see my wife, you will know why and how that happened. I like how Brian. That on, not on purpose. I said, no. Nah, you got to have a child with a baby with your wife on he said, oops. "No, dude, it's no, on no, purpose. You don't have oops moments with your wife." Now that was a that was a that was a oop moment. That was that was a. Let me let me tell y'all the story. We That's actually, my wife. I was working at 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 that time. It was LSU Hospital. I was working in the emergency room. And tell you how, how we found you out. There too, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. What year was that? This was oh five. This was oh five. You wasn't there. Then. No, I was there. Yeah, yeah, I worked on LSU 10 psych from 05 to 09. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah it was 05. All right, go ahead. So anyway, we're yeah. just trying to make and, a connection. And this is how we found out that we were pregnant with my daughter. My wife actually injured her knee. And so we we brought her, because I was working in yep. the emergency room, so we brought her to the emergency room to get a knee looked at. Now, whenever a woman comes to the emergency room, they automatically yeah, they give make her sure. a pregnancy test. Yeah, because they got to oh, make sure. Now, I worked at that time, whenever they gave orders for whatever the tests are, I was the one who keyed the orders in. I worked at the desk. So I'm the one that keyed <laughs> my wife's pregnancy test in and was the first person to see that That's it was possible. That's crazy. Man, wow. you got you got excuse my language, you got a hell of a story. <laughs> you keep it real. No, that's right. So, right. And so that's how that's how we found God, out that my daughter was on the way, man. That's crazy, so, yeah. man. Man, that's wild. That's yeah. cool though. All right, so anyway, so we got in all right, so that gives you your background. So you, have y'all been at the same church? Cuz obviously uh, you were growing up, so you are these your home churches, or are these no. where your pastor? Neither one of that's where your home church is. No, no that that is not my home church. Uh, you I, started one you're in. Well, huh? I pastored I pastored a traditional Baptist church for two years, and you know that you, just you gonna end it right there, ain't you? You just not gonna say nothing. That, that you, just, you ain't got to go no. You ain't got to go no. Yeah. And and no 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 disrespect to the traditional Baptists, yeah. but everybody has their calling. That wasn't mine. I understand. Right, right. And so I moved on, and and the Lord graced me to start the church. Yeah, that's cool. That I'm at right now. Yeah, yeah simple church. Yeah. I got to start too, so I get it. And I was at 16 years in a Baptist church, so yeah. ain't no hating. We just dating. Yeah. Right. 
Traditional Baptist, man. Ooh. Thank you. Right. <laughs> well, the reason I say me. that, okay, now the reason I'm saying this is this don't matter if it's black culture or white culture. The problem is, and, and I think we all can agree with this, because we could go down a whole nother just church right. talk yeah, stuff. Right. I mean, we're going to try to get into some race stuff, obviously, but I want the people to know who you are so they can right, connect right. and know your background and stuff. But the problem is, I think, it's just like anything else. It just becomes religion. So they're so uh, committed to a denomination or a way that they don't open themselves up or allow themselves to see possibly what God's calling them to do a different way. It don't make them bad people. It don't make it a bad thing. It's just like, man, they get in a mindset. And once they kind of get in a mindset, it's hard to break that mindset. It's hard to do anything different. So, man, I just feel you. So that's what I'm saying is that there ain't no hating. It's just a matter of stating on. That's what makes it a challenge. Right. So, and it's not know. it's it's not for everybody. Like you said, it's 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 not the people. Yeah. I had we had great people there, but I mean, you put it you put it the yeah, best way possible. Um, it when you become so, and and this goes into any discussion that I'm we saying. can have, yes. even outside of church. Once you become so committed to an entity, it becomes difficult to see different perspectives and see different opportunities. That's right, mm-hmm. and it makes it different to really function according to what you know you can yeah Mm -hmm. and you know so it's not for everybody it's nothing wrong with it but as with anything else everything is not for everybody and that just wasn't for me that's the 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 guy who's there now that's at the same church that i was at that i just it wouldn't work doing a great job yeah that's right you know so so y'all are both young though to be passionate too though yeah i mean i started at i was i was 25 you say you were 19 so man that's young i started preaching in 19 started pastoring maybe about 25, 26. Yeah. yeah. Wow, man. <clears throat> yeah. All right, so let's get into some of the stuff. Let's get into kind of what we've been talking about, because now y'all know them, man. These are some good dudes, man. I can't tell you yeah. again how thankful we are for you to come hang out with us and Absolutely. help us with our perspective, because what we're learning, and, and again, I, I think everybody's really trying to open their mind up to go, all right, what can I do to be better? And how can I? And one of the things I think I'm learning and want to be better at is providing a platform to be able to discuss these things in a public platform as opposed to I got good friends and we can hang out and talk but people don't always hear that or they don't know what we're thinking about or whatever so that you're here is huge so is there anything you want to get off your chest before we get get even into some of the questions that people have had because I asked some people to submit some questions so I Mm -hmm. think it'll help us but let's go start first it doesn't matter Brandon Brian whoever wants to go like man you know I think we ought to start with this or that if you have something in your mind you want to cover first Nah, i really i'm interested to see what the questions are yeah I'm kind of hoping that i kind of facilitate yeah the thoughts. that's cool yeah yeah, yeah it's it, the same thing i i love uh to just really be direct in answering the questions that the people have i mean that's because that's so much that could be said yeah you know in the onset of the situation um that I, I think we do better just starting with the questions. All right, so here's here's that. a here's a common question I hear in the white community, which I think again, don't take it wrong, just a common question. So then you work through, what do you, as again, pastors in the community, hope to see, want to see, that would make you feel as though it's making some progress, moving in the right direction. So if you had to say like, man, when I see this or I see that. I know we're moving in the right direction. And that'll be kind of the first part of the question. And then the other thing is, is maybe that's just the first moves. And what do you, what do you want it to look like? What would you hope to happen? And, and I ain't talking about the nation. Let's keep it real, mm-hmm. like our communities, because we, we can barely 
do what we're doing now to get our community right, which we got a lot of work to do. And I'm committed to try to figure that out. And, and the nation, I hope, will follow and take suit. But, like, what do you guys want to see in this community? And what, is, what does that look like when you go, man, we're making some progress? I, I would say um, just reflecting on, on yesterday, I had an opportunity to take part in um, a little peaceful protest of KTBS and um, one of their um, persons that does stories or whatever. Mm -hmm. It was kind of about the way that a story was captured of what took place downtown on Saturday. And um, <clears throat> the African-American community, we were upset because it was only one, it was only one picture. Uh, the pictures that were there were only of the, the African-Americans that had their guns uh, practicing the Second Amendment. Right. As opposed to the fact that there were also white people there that had guns as well. And so mm -hmm. our community was kind of upset because we felt like both communities was not represented at exercising their Second Amendment right. Right. <clears throat> So what I what I kind of discovered on yesterday is that we got a lot of work to do. I think what when, when, what I would like to see come from this. The first thing I want to say is I think this situation kind of this all of this stems from the George Floyd situation. Mm -hmm. And um, before then, I I don't I cannot recall a time that I've lived in where we have been just brutally honest mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. racism. That's and, right. And I cannot remember a time since I've been living mm -hmm. where I've seen whites and blacks sit down like like we are and actually just talk about it. Yeah. And um, what I would like to see is both sides walk away from the conversation um, with growth. Yeah. And understanding about one another. Mm -hmm. That that simply means that if if I if I came into the George Floyd situation thinking that white, all white people were evil then I would like to see those of us that might have felt that way have a change of heart and recognize all white people aren't evil, mm -hmm. all white people aren't racist. Vice versa, though. I would like if there were any white people that looked at, at black people pre-George Floyd and said, I'm afraid of black people or they may hurt me, I'm not sure, I have a certain sense of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. um, when I get around black people, I feel a certain way. I would like to see those white people have a change of heart as well yeah. and an open mind about us and recognize all of us, um, all of us are not looking to, to um, harm you. Yes. Um, I think, I think open-mindedness and growth from both sides, mm -hmm. that's when I know that the work is, is being done. Yeah. If we leave out of this, and the white person still feels the way about black people that they felt before this, and the black person, vice versa, still feels the way they did about white people before we went into this, then there was no growth. Yeah. So I want to. I would like to see growth on both sides, yeah, open-mindedness and, and acceptance mm -hmm. on both sides. Yeah. Both of us recognizing that this is humanity staring in your face. That's good, man. No color of the skin. This That's is right. humanity staring in your That's face. That's good. That's yeah. good, Brian. Brandon? And I, I, I agree with what he said 100%. Much of what I would have said uh, is tied into what he said. So I'll, I'll go into the piece that I believe would be a byproduct of that that would let me know that, you know, there's some progress, and that is when we begin to see equity. Mm -hmm. um, and what I mean by that is when we really begin to see things happening in, in every sector, education, um, uh, jobs, uh, you know, workforce development, all, all the areas that we currently see inequality in, 
when we really begin to see equity in those areas and without it being looked at as a handout, mm-hmm. that's when I can say that we're finally getting it. Oh, because, yeah. you know, right now, anytime something is done to address the situation, it's often looked out as a handout. Well, why are we giving handouts? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? When it has to be understood that when you're dealing with disadvantaged people, which we are um, as African-Americans, anytime you're trying to correct the disadvantage, you know, there has to be unfair treatment. And what I mean by unfair treatment is somebody is going to have to get more than the other in order to rectify the level of uh, the level the the, the, the plan field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The plan field is not equal. The plan field hasn't been equal since 1619. And in order to make that plan field equal, there has to be some things done that create equity that gives opportunities that will rob. And that goes back to the, the honesty piece that he's that he talked about. Let, we have to be honest and say there was an injustice done in this country with people of color that continues to this day. Mm-hmm. That I mean, that's not that's not a excuse. That's the reality. Mm-hmm. And it's a very difficult injustice that we make. It makes it diff, very, very difficult for us to get on equal ground. Yeah. And so when things begin to happen that addresses that honesty, accepts that reality and then becomes not just words because anybody can get up and say, okay, well, I'm sorry that y'all have gone through that. I apologize. Um, you know, we were wrong. Okay. Thank you for that. But now what, now yeah. what are we going to do to put things in place to make up for it? Mm-hmm. And and so when, when I began seeing that, I think that's when I could say, okay, we finally got it. Yeah, okay. Good. So let's talk through that. So this is a, a, a good point. Cause I think, most people can kind of grab a hold of what you're saying. I, some of them probably tripping right now because mm-hmm. they're going, well, you know, come on. Right. But but keeping it real, let's go to an education situation. So if we go like if we're trying to make it equal in education, what does that look like for you? And because the white person, I'm assuming, Scott, you can step in and say anything if something comes to your mind or if you feel they're probably going, they don't see it because it really hasn't happened to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So only reason I have a little bit of input in this is I grew up at Warner Park. Yeah. That's why I went to elementary school. I went to Oak Terrace. Okay, oh, so, Lord. yeah. No, <laughs> no. So, I wouldn't have guessed that one. Yeah, I did. I went to Oak Terrace. So why I say that is, and I can give you, and I've t- our people know this, but I'll give you a little background on that. So my parents grew up in on Randolph Street, so we went to Warner Park. Mm-hmm. My dad worked at AT&T. So he got a job working at the phone. It was Western Electric back then, all right? But he finally got some kind of a promotion. I don't know what. And he was able to say, hey, we need to move closer to the work. Not out of that neighborhood. He just wanted to be closer. He didn't have to drive as far. Mm-hmm. So we moved to Southern Hills. Well, there was a difference. That's what people, everybody acts like, well, no. Nah. And you're going, well, yeah, but your dad, but my dad, more than likely, based on the time, so this was 70s, and everybody, but keep it real. We had the civil rights movement in the '60s, so this ain't but ten years different. Correct. He probably got a promotion over somebody else. I'm not saying that. I don't know that. 
but it wasn't an equal playing field even when it came to those environments. Mm-hmm. So I'm the only reason I can relate is I'm going. Well, I'm a I'm a benefit. Uh, you know, I've been a benefit. Well, I was a benefactor from that. Right. I was able to go. Hey, man, I didn't have anything. I'm a kid. So this is where I always get frustrated too with everybody. It's like kids don't have no say in this. Right. If right. you know, like your, the parents are trying to figure that out. But then that allowed us to move to and I and I say this and I've told this to our church and my kids think I'm tripping. When we moved to South Shreveport, I had never seen carpet in the house. I had never seen an air conditioner in my life. I had never seen a shower. All we ever had was a bathtub. So I remember getting on the floor and doing a carpet angel. And my mom was like, boy, what are you doing? I was like, right. I ain't never seen it. Right. I remember standing in the shower and saying, what is that? And my mom was like, watch this. Mm-hmm. Now, my mom cleaned houses for a living. So my dad worked at AT&T, Western Electric. My mom, she was a maid. So I worked with her and the maid to clean houses. So we we get we were in all kind of apartments, cleaning apartments and homes and everything else. But I only say that to say they were working hard to try to get us to have more stuff because that's the American dream. We wanted a nicer house or nicer clothes. We had them old ghetto jeans on that I was trying to sew the right mm-hmm. logo on because I wanted to be the cool kid too. And my mom was going to get credit cards to try to figure out how to do whatever. And and everybody's going, well, yeah, well, but that was my experience. But they did have opportunity, and mm-hmm. mainly because of my dad, it, it it changed that. So I went to a different school. So then went to Summer Grove, from Warner Park to Summer Grove. Well, it was not black. Mm-hmm. The majority of Summer Grove kids were white because mm-hmm. that was what had happened when we moved out of that. So that changed a lot of different things, opportunities. I looked at my baseball team the other day. I thought about this. From my Werner Park early, it was uh, obviously we had blacks and whites. Mm-hmm. But when I got to Summer Grove, my baseball team was all white. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm going, well, wait a second. Well, kid, I didn't make those choices. I didn't know any different. But that was what was happening. That's why I'm saying now to, to this generation, they're going, yeah, but like, no, 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 no. When you say you want it to be equal or you want it to try to get equal – in today's world, how or what do we do to do that? Because not some would say, well, they got an opportunity. They can move up. I'm like, if they, not if they don't get the job. Yeah, because in, in, in answering that question, equal begins with, as you mentioned, making sure that everybody has those same opportunities. Mm-hmm. Now, in order to answer that question, you can't begin in 2020. you got to go all the way back. Um and, and view the systemic and ingrained issues that are ingrained in society from the moment that, you know, slavery began to take shape. So let's not even go all the way back to slavery in 1619. Let's just start at 1865 when we can say that slavery was made illegal. I never use the term when slavery ended because it never ended. That's a, that's a thing that a lot of people don't realize. It never ended. It just became slavery under another name or in a different form. If you examine sure, the third yeah, if you examine the examine the thirteenth amendment and you find uh the 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 clause that literally gave birth to mass incarceration because 13th amendment says that you know you cannot hold a slave and i'm paraphrasing it but a person cannot be held as a slave except for the punishment of a crime you know so once they put that clause in there well then that gave the loophole to say well we if we can make them prisoners we can still get uh, slave labor out of them so that led to mass incarceration when you begin at that point and you begin even at slavery being made illegal 
there was no transition period from slavery to freedom for African Americans. There was no process of, you know, moving from point A to point B to allow us to begin living productive lives as free people. We were just released and having to figure it out on our own. Okay, now what do we do? As a matter of fact, that was so uh, difficult that a lot of people just opted to remain with their, you know, slave masters because freedom was just too much pressure to to acquiesce to. Well, there was no, and to just back that up, because this is, I think, to to reiterate that, imagine that being today, how difficult that would be. Right. So forget 1800. I mean, and this would be that would be difficult for any of us today to go. Okay, now man, you're free. Well, where do I get a job? Well, I, How do I, I take care of my family? How if nobody, especially with everything was the way it was. Yeah. So I get it, but I don't think a lot of people want to get. It. I don't think yeah. they want to think that. They go, man, you're going too far back. What about today? But that affects it. Yeah, yeah. and see, that's that's the thing that people miss. And I don't want to dominate the conversation. No, 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 you jump ahead. jump in no, whenever. No, that's the thing that people miss, is that no, that didn't happen today. But because the effects of it were never truly addressed, mm-hmm. it affects today. Oh, yeah. Anything that takes place that is not addressed is going to continue to birth residual issues until you finally address it. So those issues never were to de- uh, address. If you want to give it a 2020 outlook and say, OK, well, help me understand that in, in 2020. Imagine a woman who's been married for 20, 30 years to an abusive husband who dominated, paid all the bills, made all the money, and then all of a sudden he wakes up one day and says, you know what, I want a divorce. I've already called the lawyer. The papers have already been uh, formulated. The accounts have already been closed. Because that actually happens. There's a lot of women who are watching this can tell you those are real stories. And now a woman who has been under the provision and protection of this man for 20, 30, 40 years. Because oh, oh, it is, that's oppression. <laughs> well, because that example is, I'm saying, yeah, because yeah. she provide, he provided, yeah, he but did. he oppressed. He oppressed the whole okay. time. He, he, he you subjugated. You said I'm saying, because it was yeah. abusive and all yeah, that. Yeah, abusive. Subjugated that woman all, all, all her life. And now she wakes up and has to figure out how she's going to take care of herself just like that. No resources. Nobody's giving her anything. Nobody's watching after her because the person that was doing all that has just ran off. That is now imagine that happening after 300 years and now you got to figure out how you're going to transition so when you look at that and you look at not only were there no measures taken to transition us into freedom but laws were continued jim crowism were continued to be enforced to make it difficult to make that transition So because of that, make a long story short, because of these different laws and legislations, which many of them are still in place today, when you say to us, everybody has an opportunity, work hard, pull yourself up from your bootstraps. We don't even have boots. When you say pull yourself up from the bootstrap, we still trying to figure out how to get boots because certain laws have made it difficult for us to even have boots. Boots, So we got to fight to get the boots for us to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. And last statement that I made to just kind of give you an example of what I mean, even when you go to education, because employment was so difficult for us to obtain, because home ownership was so difficult for us to to obtain, uh, because of redlining measures where it was intentionally uh, enforced to create lower uh, income neighborhoods that we call ghettos. These were mm-hmm. intentional. You can do the research on that. 
And because many schools and many school districts are funded by tax property or property tax. Well, in lower income neighborhoods, the property taxes are, of course, lower because property values are lower. So if it's based on property tax, of course, you have more affluent neighborhoods that have the opportunity to get more income from those property tax. And then you have the families in those communities who, because they've been given the opportunity to get the better jobs, to get the promotion and to get the education, they make more money. So they're able to give more through PTA, things of that nature, where in African-American communities, we really don't have a lot of leftover money to give to a PTA because we're barely making enough money to pay rent and bills and things of that nature. So those are some of the examples of what we mean by the intentional injustices that once those things begin to get rectified and addressed, then I can say, yeah, we're making some progress. So I'm going to say one thing, Brian, before he adds in on this, because one thing you said in like one of our, I don't remember what conversation we were in, but that still stuck with me, and I've said it to many white people since then, and it was about naming your children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now this is, now this is, now this is going to be for white people a trip. Because tell them what you told me or us whenever we were all talking about this, because this is a, a big deal. Brian, you may not have heard him say this, but well, for my, white people, this trips us out. My, my children are named Brandon, Brianna, and Braylon. My wife and I intentionally gave them names that if you read them on a resume or an application, you have a difficult time determining whether they're white or black. Because a lot of employers, if they know the name gives an indication that this person is black, they automatically reject it. And this is this is a this is a proof. In fact, I've talked to employers who've done it. I've talked to uh, people who work for employers that have done it. Um, and it, it 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 goes right in with redlining um, and how they impacted the mortgage uh, industry. And it even goes into the ed- education industry and how they approve and accept uh, college students. If they see a name that looks white, but the the ethnicity is not identified, then they assume it's white. That's one of the reasons that a lot of job applications and a lot of employers started using that ethnicity box. And a lot of people don't know that. They started using that ethnicity box because they want to know before they even read your resume or call you whether or not you're black, white, or non-Latino. But once upon a time, if they're reading the resume, because of course on the resume, you don't have to tell them that you're black. So my wife and I intentionally made sure that we named them names that makes it difficult to read their resume and tell what, what ethnicity they are. Now, the only reason I say that, because we're talking to, I talked to some young white couples, and they had their babies and stuff. So I said, that's something you've never had to think about. Mm-hmm. Never even crossed their mind. Yeah. And that's what yeah, I told them. Calm. I said, that's, that's why me talking to Brandon or talking to Brian helps me understand it, it it just gives me a different perspective because that's something I never thought about. That's common in our community. Yeah. Um, and not only that, but that's what we were taught at Grambling as a part of, yeah, as part of um, filling out our resumes and, and applying at different yeah. um, companies, Fortune 500 companies, where the different companies that came was yeah. um, IBM would come. Um, all types of companies would come and recruit. And, it would, and they would tell us. I mean, our teachers would tell us, you know, um, to to make sure, hopefully you don't have a name that will give away your um, your ethnicity. Because if you do, that's, 
it's going to be hard for you because they know who you are coming in the door. So we, we've been taught that. I, I named mm-hmm. my kids for the same reason. Really, bro? Yeah. That's like, like that's common. Yeah. That's common conversation in the black home. See, and the reason I say that is that's what they got to hear. Yeah. When I say yeah. they, I'm talking about us. So, I mean, we got we to gotta understand. And I I mean, I'm 50 years old. I've never heard that before. Yeah. yeah. That, that, I, that so I was like, man, I appreciate y'all sharing it because yeah. then it's like, that lets you know. I mean, it kind of gives you an insight to go that you didn't really, you haven't thought of that before. Now, let me go back to y'all because both of y'all went to college. You worked hard. You, how did you get to college? Did you get through scholarships? Did you get through your mama? Did you get through jobs? Because you had to work through it. So I want people to understand yeah. what that journey was like because we're talking about just at this particular time, education. Because I'm trying to figure out for my daughter, okay? So I'm mm-hmm. going, we don't have a lot of money either. So yeah. we're trying to go. Apply, 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 but she may or may not, I'm trying to figure out, have more opportunities. And according from your perspective, she would definitely have more opportunities, which is probably true. But I want them to hear from your side what that was like. Well, I would say just listen to Brandon. First of all, I do I, for any bar, any person that says that looks at, at black people and say, well, listen, um, they're looking for handouts or um, they're complaining about something that they don't have a legitimate reason because – they, because I, here's what I've experienced. I've experienced sometimes when I get in a white context is that the white people will point at me and use me as a reason why black people shouldn't be complaining about mm-hmm. faculty. So they say, well, you got an education. You got a college education. So why why couldn't your, your neighbor do it? And, that, and, and I always tell them, like, you, listen, man, it's by the grace of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this has nothing to do with me. Or my intelligence. Mm-hmm. It's all about a great. Let, let me just, if I could just walk you through my own story, of my my my. When I was four years old, my mama put my mother put me in in um, kindergarten. So I started the kindergarten program. That's because my birthday was kind of coming at a point where I was going to turn five during the year. So mm-hmm. she went ahead and started me at four. She she put me in this predominantly white school. It was a magnet school where you had to get tested to even start the program. She put me there because my brother was already there. And since he was already there, he was excelling. She just figured, hey, two kids at the same school. It doesn't make sense to send them to two different schools. Even sense. though we're two different children, two different personalities, it just made sense to send both kids to one school. So she sent, she sent me there, and I tested in. And I, I don't know what I scored on the test, but whatever it was, during that particular time, they had this system at a predominantly white school that if you scored a certain level – below whatever their benchmark was, then they would put you in basically these classes that was like a step under special ed. So if you were in these classes, you were on your way to special ed. This was like the class before the special ed class, all right? So they put me in this class. They call it the speech class. Mm -hmm. So what they would do in this class is they took you out of your regular class, maybe like, I don't know, so many times a week, and they would take you to this class. And this class maybe had five kids. But all of the kids understood that when this, this teacher assistant comes to get you, then you are going into the, the stupid people class with the kids. I mean, you know, with kids yeah, that mm-hmm. are slow. So I was seen as this slow kid at mm-hmm. this school, right? And um, things, didn't, things went, I didn't do well my first year in kindergarten. So they actually called my mother, who was an educator in the Caddo Parish school system at the time, and they said, you know, your son is having some learning disabilities, as we, as we assumed he did. 
And so he's going to have to repeat kindergarten again. I, I, I did kindergarten again at the same school. This time, it didn't work out too well. The second time they called my mom, they say, listen, your son now has to go to special ed. He's failed speech twice. He must go to special ed now, right? My mom was like, nah, that ain't going to happen. Because she raised me. Mm-hmm. She knew that yeah. there was nothing wrong. And my dad told me a story. He was like, man, when you were two years old, you used to sit next to me and just have adult conversations with me. And he was like, I used to be like, but weird. Like, this is weird. Like, this mm-hmm. two-year-old is talking to me and articulating itself. And so he said, we were struggling with how how can they say you're not articulate? Mm-hmm. And I've been watching you when, when, when you, you know, me and your mother were married. I saw you sit there and, and just talk to me like you were mm-hmm. an adult. And so um, my mom said, no, nah, he's not going to special ed. So she pulled me out of that school after the second try and failed kindergarten. Pulled me out of that school. She took me to a predominantly black school, Lakeshore Elementary. I went to first grade. Lakeshore went ahead and promoted me to first grade, even though the I almost said the school, even though the white magnet school in Shreveport. We'd have been, yeah, we'd have been yeah. all right with it. South Highlands. <laughs> I just go ahead and put them out there. Yeah, yeah, put them out there. So, so since I, I, I didn't do well at South Highlands, she took me to Lakeshore. Lakeshore promoted me. South Highlands wanted to keep me and put me in special ed. I don't even think they had a special ed program at the school. Mm-mm. So um, I went to Lakeshore. My first grade year, I made straight A's. Second grade, straight A's. Third grade, straight A's. Fourth grade, straight A's. Fifth grade, straight A's. Graduated at the top of elementary school. So now you bragging. So, so check this out. No, no, I just <laughs> want to show I'm you. I'm picking with you, because I didn't have that. <laughs> about the injustice yeah. uh, that you don't see. Sure. They, they may not call you out of your name, but it's, it's, it's if, you, if, if you don't test well, mm-hmm. if you don't have a certain test score, then you are ultimately categorized as a low-performing student. Mm-hmm. But I go to a predominantly black school, and somehow I go from dumb to Einstein. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, don't, I don't think that's like, I don't think I just woke up one day no. and was just... Einstein. And let me let me plug this in and I'm like, I love yeah. Brian Dawson. Keep it real, bro. Yeah. The exact same thing happened to my oldest son. Exact same thing. Yeah. I just right, want so to plug get, that in there. Yeah, so this ain't just you. Continue on, so. Went to Cattle Middle Magnet for okay. middle school, straight A's. Went to Huntington for high school, straight A's. Went to Grambling for college, straight A's. Went to Morehouse for, for my master's degree, straight A's. But somehow at South Highlands, I was eligible for special ed. Wow. I, I'm just saying, to this day, I used to carry what they told me about myself mm-hmm. with me as my testimony. So I would talk to black kids and I would say, listen, when I was four and five years old, you know, I was told this about myself, um, but look at what God did. Mm-hmm. And just last week after having this conversation with y'all and, and Laura, and, I, and she emailed me talking about the conversation, and I was reflecting on the conversation we had. Mm-hmm. And I emailed her, and I started sharing the story, and I said, I'm starting to discover that I need to eliminate that as a part of my story mm-hmm. because that's what somebody told me, but mm-hmm. that's not who I was. Mm-hmm. And so she said, I just wanted to, she told me this. These are her words. She said, I want to tell that four-year-old Brian mm-hmm. that you are good enough. 
And when she told me that, man, I had tears in my eyes at 38 because it took me 34 years to get over what I had encountered at South Howlands. That's big, man. 34 years. So when we're talking about racism, it's not always somebody calling you the Mm N-word. Sometimes it's you being treated differently in a classroom because of your skin color. And the teacher doesn't have to say anything, but you feel it. That's big. Because the teacher doesn't call on you for anything. The teacher puts you in the back of the class. The teacher tell goes to the administrators and say, this kid can't do it. But then I go to I go to Lakeshore and all of a sudden I'm up here. And it wasn't because the kids at Lakeshore were weren't smart. I, I truly believe it was the educators that were in the classroom. The ones at Lakeshore, they were all black. The ones at South Highlands, they were all white. Mm -hmm. I was probably one of the only black children in that classroom for those first two years of kindergarten. Terrible experience, man. Yeah. Terrible experience. I'm simply saying this, that as 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 whites and blacks, if if we if we trying to get over this, man, it's a hard thing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you got to get to the place where you don't see. Black kids or white kids differently, period. Regardless of what you see on the news, yes. Regardless of how much you see that we may have, um, we got a lot of violence in our community. Mm-hmm. We gonna, I acknowledge that. I also acknowledge that some of these things that have happened in our history has kind of, yeah, unfortunately aided, yeah, in that yeah. process. Man, we got a lot of angry black people, man. Yeah. That don't even we don't even fully understand our anger. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. All mm-hmm. we know is we were birthed in it. All we know is we got in the classroom and we were treated differently. Mm-hmm. That's what we know. Yeah, and that's the reason if we want to go historically, why we had historically black institutions as opposed to predominantly white institutions. We had to have them. We had to have them. And that, historically, know, but, yeah. we had to have them. Black people was seen as not good enough to even be in the classroom or even receive an education. And how I can and to reinforce you and encourage you in the fact that I really appreciate you sharing the story because I think when y'all share your stories, it helps the white community understand. But I can understand when I realize, and anybody listening, you hear me when I say this white person, my friends, when my grandparents would demean a person because of the color of their skin, I know that's a fact, and you know it's a fact. So don't deny that. Right, right. So don't try to act like you don't. So my mom taught me we ain't going to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Somebody had to say, that's jacked up. That, we, that ain't the way this is going to go. Now, that's only the – some people feel like we get some award because we don't do that. That ain't nothing. That's just basic human Mm -hmm. (laughs) rights to treat somebody and not say something negative about them. But then I always say, as a believer, what really ticks me off is on the Christian side of things when we're still trying to argue against your pain. That don't make sense to me. So when I go to Africa, I'll give you a great example. We take people to Africa, and I've again, we plan on going back, and I told you, Brandon, I've told Pastor, I want you to go to your your homeland. I want you to see what's going on, and I want you to see how 
uh, much they're accomplishing and how much they've overcome, even in the genocide of their own people in Rwanda. That's specifically where right. we go. And our people, our white people, whoever they may go with, they're like, oh, my God. I'm like, the way that you're admiring this country and these people, take that home to Bossier. Take mm-hmm. that home to Shreveport. Because that's, to me, is what the problem is, is like as a Christian, we don't really want to look at ourselves. We don't really want to talk about that. And that's why I'm thankful for you saying it, because I know I still got work to do. There's yeah. still moments that when someone, regardless of how they do it, I go, all right, Lord, help me. Because, man, my grandparents were this way. My parents were changing. And now I'm raising my kids. And so we do have a chance. My hope and prayer is that your kids and my kids and then your great grand begin right. to change it because we are having these conversations that a lot of people didn't have. And, and let me interject this. Well, I, I do want to say that from that experience, I never went to a white school ever again. Mm-hmm. Like I had it made up in my mind. I'm not going to a white school again. Yeah, sure. Um, the catamental magnet was forced on me. It was, it, my, mama, my mama was like, listen. <laughs> and you got to do what mama says. It's either middle magnet or she's trying to get me in some like private church school. Oh. And I was like, I ain't going to no private church school. So yeah. they'll send me the middle magnet. But I'll let you know, it was in Cedar Grove and it was a whole lot of black folk at middle mm. magnet. I don't care what nobody <laughs> yeah. say. It's a lot of it was yeah. a lot of black folk. It was a lot of fights. It was a lot of everything. But yeah. I, I purposely chose to go to black institutions from that point forward, simply because of the experience I had at South Dallas. Yeah. My brother has a totally different story, man, because he succeeded in 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 that in that realm. Yeah, I didn't. And I'm just simply saying you can't treat all black people the same in that yeah. situation. Yeah. You know, no, so that's, good. that's so that's when pe- white people try to use me. As an example of success, and say, "Well, hey, why, why didn't your your homeboy? Why didn't he? Man, listen, don't use me. I'm like, don't don't use because my homeboy had a totally different yeah. situation. But I even want to go further if we want to talk about just the black experience, man. Listen, I cannot tell you. I can only go far as far back in in the black side of my family. I can only f- go as far back to my great great grandmother. I can't trace it any further." Because we can't go back to Africa to find out how Isabella, which is my great-great-grandmother, my great-great-great-grandmother. Yeah. No, no, my great-great-grandmother. Mm-hmm. So my great-great-grandmother, Isabella, was a slave. She was bought by my great-great-grandfather, Ben May. All right? He bought uh, like 30 slaves. Isabella was one of them. Isabella and her mom end up being a part of that group that, mm-hmm. he, that he bought of slaves. They moved to Gramlin, which was Jackson Parish at the time, Lincoln Parish, all right? Um, And he had 17 children, and one of them is my great-grandfather, Philip May. And the only reason I knew that was white in my family is because my mom used to have a picture of Philip, which is her grandfather, and my my great-grandmother, which is her grandmother. And my great-grandmother is like just Mm dark-skinned. Then... Uh, Uncle Phil, uh, Papa Phil, which is my great grandfather, in the picture he looks like you. And so when I was young, I say, "Mom, that's a white man." And she's like, "Boy, shut up! Don't ask me about the picture. He ain't white." I was like, "Mama, that's a white man. No, he ain't white. He ain't white. He ain't white." So when I got mm-hmm. old, I was like, "Yo, y'all just tell me the truth. What's going on in this family?" <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, what's up? Because this is a white man on this picture. Yeah. And they was like, okay, so here it is. Actually, his father was a slave owner. It's Ben. He purchased 
your great-grandmother, your great-great-grandmother, which was Isabella, he died at some point, being while the slaves were still on his land. But he had 17 children by your great-great-grandmother while, while she was his slave. Um, and so when he died, it was just them. And Isabella was left to raise the rest of the children all by herself and take care of her mother at the same time. And from that point, they had nobody to, like, pick up the reins. So some of the field, one of the sons, some of the sons from that marriage had to had to produce, right. had to figure out a way. I'm simply saying this, is that being the slave purchaser, which is my great-great-grandfather, which is a white man, pure white man, European, okay? He purchases them. He dies, brings them to Jackson Parish. He dies, and they're on their own on this plantation. They ain't got nothing but a bunch of grass right. and this house. And from that point, they got to figure out something. Got to figure it out. So how did they make it? By the grace of God. Yeah. Because some of those kids decided to, they were old enough to work or old enough to do this, or they taught themselves to read because they couldn't read, or, or, they, or they became businessmen somehow, some way in the community. And that's how things Begin, but I'm simply saying that's my great, great grand. That's three generations, man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's that's that's. I'm not far removed from that. I lived. I was living when my great grandfather, the white, the the guy that looked white. I got a picture with him holding me. That's how. <laughs> See, this that, is, we're not that far removed. Not no. that, and I say that all the time. Yeah, you know, and and, and so I say that to say is when I, Brandon, when I go look at my family tree and I'm trying to figure out where everything started we got a facebook page and we actually found some descendants of being pure white european they're part of our facebook page and our family so you got black people <laughs> and pure white people in mm -hmm. one facebook family group because they are descendants of being before mm -hmm. he purchased isabella because he was married three times to three white women before that even took place wow. so he had children all over the place and we reconnect them but here's the problem i can't find where isabella's life starts and i can't find who who i know who her mother was but i know i don't know who her mother was right mm -hmm. so the only family i can really trace is the white side yeah mm -hmm. i cannot trace the black side because we can't we we can only stop in america we can't go all the way back to Africa because America doesn't have African records. Yeah. You feel what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. No, I get it. So I can go all the way back with Ben, but I can't, I can only stop at the third generation with Isabel. Yeah. That's yep. a problem. Oh, yeah. That's a problem. So I got, I got white cousins, and I told my wife this, I said, this is really uncomfortable for me to be in this situation and probably should be for a lot of black people because we actually got this white connection mm -hmm. that we don't even know we have where the, the white slave owner purchased our grandmothers or our great grandmothers and had and birthed our mothers and grandmothers from that particular, right. whatever that was. Right. I That's can't crazy. call it a union cause they couldn't get married. I don't know if she agreed with the situation or not. All I know is on the records, it shows her as a slave. Mm -hmm. Wow. See, but that's what, to me, this is what makes it fascinating. And I'm so thankful because you got to hear it. 
you got to walk through your experiences. You got to walk through what you're going yep. through, your feelings. And typically, I think Brian, you said it in one of the meetings we were in. You're like, man, I don't have no white friends. Right. I don't even <laughs> yeah. have no white friends. And really. I was like, yeah. man, we got to fix that right. because right. I'm better when you're in my life. Right. And I hope that it eventually will make you better. Absolutely. Just because, Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's to me is where it starts to be compassionate or understanding or empathetic to be able to go, man, because that was one of the questions that brought up yesterday in the Zoom call is, you know, empathy. And I and I was just saying that the only way you're going to get to be empathetic is when you can be, talk with honesty and feel free to talk with that without being mm -hmm. judged or attacked. So I'm telling you, dude, thank you for saying it because talking it out and working it out yeah. helps all of us. And I want to say I want to thank you and Laura. Mm -hmm. And this lady named Sister Kane, I'm going to make sure she look at this. Mm -hmm. She's a white lady that joined Galilee, man, maybe about a, f a few months ago. Mm -hmm. And she said, I'm, I am I know I'm going to challenge this congregation because I'm white and my husband is white. But let me tell you, the, the fact that you three, I have told my story to you three. And each one of you all have been so empathetic and spoke words of affirmation back into my life oh, you didn't get offended mm -hmm. each one of you that i've shared this story with spoke back into my life and basically basically um overshadowed all of the negative words that i might have been fed as a black kid and you spoke and you said you know what you are worth something in some That's way right. and you absolutely. all have, have spoken that into me and man it does so much and i'm starting to wow i didn't know Mm -hmm. But how much better of a world and how much yeah. complete of children we could have. Oh, yeah, man. Tears black my eyes, man, white because I just start go, speaking you know, words of affirmation into each other's oh, life, yeah. man. And that's, that's what's that, got to happen. That's, man. What, that, well, that's exactly what I was about to say. That's what has to happen on a grander scale mm -hmm. is for us to have more people rather than responding with a but or but what about this or. When we talk about slavery, you want to bring up Irish slavery in, in, in England or when we talk about our injustices, you want to bring up black, you know, on, black, crime. black on black crime or whatever <laughs> you've been through. That's a common response. Oh, yeah. yeah. And just as it is with, with any, any, um, any, any argument or any conversation, you just want the person that you're talking to to at least acknowledge your pain and yeah. we had this conversation the first time we mm -hmm. talked and i always bring it back to marriage because for me marriage is god's ultimate example of relationship human to human when god created the marriage he gave us the ultimate example of what he wants human to human relationship look like and i always bring it back to me and my wife mm -hmm. you know there and, and and women can understand this a whole lot quicker than men usually can but when a woman is sharing her pain or sharing her hurt with her husband, sometimes she is not even expecting him to do anything. Sometimes she just want to know that there is somebody who acknowledges the fact that she has a reason to be upset yeah. or that she has a reason to be hurt. I'm not telling you to go fix the world. I'm having this conversation with you to hear you say, Baby, I understand. And even if I don't agree, mm -hmm. I understand that what I did hurt you. Yeah. You know, now I'm that th there's been times where we've and I had to learn this in our marriage. There's been times where we had arguments or disagreements and I'm constantly trying to prove myself right. 
you know, I'm constantly trying to prove, well, no, nah, I didn't say that. That ain't what I said. Yeah, but that's what I heard. Mm -hmm. That's what she'll tell me. She'll, I'll come back and say, I didn't say that. I ain't mean that. Yeah, but that's how I interpreted it. Mm -hmm. And because I interpreted it like that, obviously there's a backstory to why my mind processes what happened that way. Mm -hmm. Then you begin to understand her past yep. and you begin to understand what she went through as a child, mm -hmm. because what we go through as children shapes our perception. Yep. It shapes how we see the world, right. the, what, the, what your ch yeah, children sure. are going through, what our children are going through right now and how we raise them is going to shape how they see the world. And so when something happens to them, they're always going to view what happened to them through the lens of how we raised them. And what, just like you just said, you did not even touch a PWI again because of what happened at South Highlands right. when you were in kindergarten. Right. It shaped how you saw the world. Right. And when we're having conversations with people about how we were raised and how we grew up and that dates all the way back through slavery, you have to understand. We just want you to understand that no matter how much you argue, no matter how much you try to compare and contrast trauma, because once you get into a place where you comparing and compare trauma, comparing trauma, you never you never end that argument. We're not trying to compare and contrast trauma. We're not comparing ourselves to what the Native Americans went through. We're not comparing ourselves to what Jewish people went through. We're, we're taking our reality and trying to get you to understand that this is why we see the world the way we see the world. You want to talk about black on black crime? Let me tell you one of the reasons why there is black on black crime, because people are fighting for survival in these communities. Mm -hmm. They've been robbed from so many opportunities that they take it upon themselves to say, you know what, I'm going to eat one way or another. Mm -hmm. And if that means me robbing somebody, mm -hmm. if that means me stealing it because the opportunities are not going to come, there's been so many laws made against me to where I have to figure something out. This is what's going to happen. So when we're having, just like he had this conversation with you and just like he had that, shared that information with Laura and they responded not with a comparison of their own upbringing, mm -hmm. but responding by simply saying, I understand how that hurts you. Mm -hmm. And let me give you a word of affirmation. Man, he just sat there and said that did so much for, for sure. him. And that's take that and put it on a grander scale with African-Americans and consider the fact that at, at, a lot of times that's 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 what we want. That's what we need. Let me tell you how much that did for me, man. That I lit I've been in a habit of discounting myself for thirties for so long that I literally have to remind myself of the words Laura gives me every day because my thought process has been so wired to say, Brian, you're not good enough. So don't even say nothing. Don't even step up. Don't even go to the podcast thing today because your voice really don't matter. And then I had to remind myself today. She told me I was good enough. And you are good enough, So I'm man. showing up today. And that's real talk. And man. you showed up, boy. Yeah. <laughs> showed up. <laughs> Straight Serious. Up. Straight up. But this is why it matters, man. And this is why I say that, dude. Both of you, that you're willing to come in to an unfamiliar, all-white place it appears now we got some brothers in there and i'm very thankful for my friends but y'all don't know that and mm -hmm. i consider y'all friends that's what i that's why i said when i said it on the zoom yesterday to me it's about friendship because if i love you and i carry you for you as my friend that takes time mm -hmm. there ain't no way that's gonna happen in one podcast or one meal right but it starts in the one podcast and the one meal and the mm -hmm. one zoom and they man and then 10 years from now you're better, and I and I told people this. I'm better for every 
black man that has been in my life. That's a fact because they help me see things differently. Whether that's Daryl, whether that's Wendell, I could go through and go. All those relationships impacted me in a positive way. I want to be able to say the same thing as we continue for my kids and for us as friends. And I'm thankful for Laura instigating those these meetings and the Zoom calls because we got to figure it out. Got to figure it out. Yeah. And this is a part of it. Yes, and I want you to be able to be confident in your story and what God's done with you. And the same with Brandon. I want us to be able to go, man, I know God's doing something. I know God's going to continue to do something. And you're the generation and, I, and I've said this to uh, other people talking about the COVID thing. So I have pastors around the country that will call or talk that I have friends with, and they're going, man, can you believe we we going through this? Like, the whole church is jacked up. It's the, Everybody's scattered out. And I said, but think about this, dude, that God thought about who he would put in this generation mm-hmm. that was big enough, strong enough, creative yeah. enough yeah. to go that's who's going to be this yeah, generation. Man. You could have been in any generation. Yeah, yeah. that's that, yeah. But that's and, and, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go that way with the race thing. Martin Luther King was in his generation because that had to happen. He put he knew who the leader was to put in that position to get what was to get done. He knows who needs to be in this generation. Yeah, yeah. God's sovereign man. He knew exactly. Man, it is you, Brian. It is you, Brandon. It is yeah. you, Justin. Because if nobody else. Who is going to do it? Well, I know who will do it. And yeah. then he knows the kids that we're having. He's like, dude, I'm putting something on those kids mm-hmm. because we know what's been on. We know what's happening. But this world needs hope. That's the right. black community, the white community, this nation, this world. So that you're here, it gives me hope. I know it gives our listeners hope. It challenges them to think differently. And I'm I'm very, very grateful for the sacrifice of time Absolutely, and the heart yeah. to be able to share what's going on. And this ain't the last one. Because we already, how long are we? I bet we went long, didn't we? We're an hour and 17, and I have a question that I want to ask. <laughs> okay. All right. So, all right. But that's the one of the longest ones ever. But the reason why it's so good, man, is we don't get to hear it. Right. We right. don't get to talk about it. Right. They stay in, in white groups talking about it, and blacks stay mm-hmm. in black groups talking about it, and not we don't come together yeah, to go, man, let me hear what's up. So, yeah. All right, Scott, and then we got to go eat, brothers. Yeah, I know, hungry. I'm, I'm hungry. Well, you know I'm hungry. I'm a big boy. <laughs> hey, we're going to eat. But and I don't ahead. know why I'm talking so though. Yeah, that's all right. like the typical anyway. board operator. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. That sounds like I'm on NPR. Yeah. Next up. <laughs> no, um... <laughs> You no, stupid man. But no, my question is because this is just my own white self: is what has made the George Floyd incident so different than from other ones, like with Rodney King and with everything else? Yeah. Like to me, because I I was alive during Rodney King and I remember all that, and I've you know there's been countless others that has happened. But what is it about this particular incident that's so different? Because now yeah. I feel like. And for the first time, at least that I can remember, these conversations are happening, not just here, but nationwide. So why was this so different this time? It goes back to what he just said, the timing of it and God's sovereignty in it. When you when you bring up the issues of Rodney King, okay, that was in the 90s. Um, I mean, there was a lot of distraction that was available that could take you away from it allow you to ignore the reality of it. Same thing with a lot of the issues that we face recently, because we can go down a, a a who's who's list of names of individuals that were George Floyd's. Of course, if you remember, it wasn't too long ago where Eric Garner 
uttered those same words when he was being arrested. I can't breathe. So what what's the difference between Eric Garner and George Floyd? We can't ignore this one. It happened during COVID-19. Well, all we could do was watch TV and watch yep. the Internet. It's, it's, it's on every channel. Uh, it was on every social media site. We couldn't run from it. We couldn't work our way through it because everybody's at home. It forced us. You know, people people talk about, you know, why we because I've heard several people say this. Why? Why is George Floyd the hero? It's not that we pinpointed him as the hero is that God orchestrated this situation to such a degree to where it happened at a time that it couldn't be ignored. We, we had to face this one. We, we, the, the, the level of distraction that was once upon a time present, it's, it's not here in 2020. Mm -hmm. We're all at home watching TV. We're all at home watching social media. And you add to that the level of racial tension that already existed in the country at mm -hmm. that time for several reasons. Um, it just it that was the climax. Yep. And and that's the way I answer that question. When you when you add the level of tension that was already there leading up to that, and you add the fact that there was no way to run from it, and you add to the fact that it was so egregious. This was not an accident. We sat there and watched this man's knee on his neck for eight minutes. That's not accidental. That's not a slip of the wrist. He's staring back in the camera, looking mm -hmm. into the camera with his knee on his neck while this man is saying he can't breathe with another guy standing right there playing security guard. It was too egregious to ignore. I agree with him on that. Is The first one, I think, is less distractions, like he said. And that's, that's why I think we need to really consider if we want to re restart. I'm a sports fan. But I heard a couple of athletes say, if we start basketball now, this is some NBA players, then what we're going to do is take away from the movement because we're just giving people a distraction mm -hmm. away from the reality that's going on, right? So we just so what you're going to hear now is what happened on the basketball game the night before. Now that the league has come back, and you're not going to hear as much coverage. See, media has a lot to do with how we perceive a lot of stuff, right? And we're really seeing that today, right? Um COVID-19 was all over the, the TV because that's all we had going on, right? Mm -hmm. And it is something that we should be very concerned about. It's definitely hitting our communities, mm -hmm. and it is scary. It's scary what it's doing to people in the death toll, mm -hmm. but that's all we had, right? And so, man, everybody was up here with it, mm -hmm. right? Then George Ford takes place. First of all, that's hard to watch. That's one reason why. It's hard to watch. It's very hard to watch. Uh, uh, one man put his knee on the neck of another man for eight minutes long, and some sec eight minutes and some seconds, and just just look mm -hmm. around at people while he's doing it, and kind of just like chilling on the guy's neck. That's it's tough, and that's tough to watch. So the distractions, less distractions, and then I think again, it's the build up. It's almost like okay, enough is enough now. All right. That's enough. I don't have to go to work any either. Mm -hmm. So when I'm waking up, I'm right back on it again. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I, I think it, and I think I, I think God was in it. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. The timing of it, man. You, know, you can't. All I was going to say, Scott, and and to go along with them, and and then we're really probably running out of time. But think about this, and you, because you were you were a kid when Rodney King happened. I wasn't. I mean, I remember that and going. 
the only reason we knew that is because somebody found a way to video that. Mm -hmm. So and then everybody was tripping. You couldn't watch that and go, what is happening? Right. Mm -hmm. But but you didn't have continuous media coverage. Yeah, right. You didn't have social media. Right. You didn't have everybody with the phone. Right. You didn't have any. I mean, right. so now you fast forward. It's been built. Ferguson. You, it's been. Dude, it's it's starting. But but and I agree with them. What makes George Floyd different to me is the fact he really didn't do anything. Yeah, man. So like, I hear white people say this a lot. Well, man, yeah, but like they shouldn't. He shouldn't have done this, and he shouldn't have done on on whatever. Pick, pick another in, individual, mm -hmm. another circumstance. When you watch that, you're going, all right. Now explain that one then, because that's that's the part that I think is so difficult to understand and watch is when you go because i've heard people this is what makes me really really frustrated from the white community now again i'm probably going there and all my people going oh jesus take the wheel you know <laughs> no but this does frustrate me you want to justify a, um, a horrific act based on someone's he had marijuana or i heard people say this well you know he had drugs in the system D do you really want to go down that road right do you really want to? So that justifies mm -hmm. killing him. Right. That justifies. And and then it, to be a Christian. So let's take white people out of it. Let's just go back to Jesus. That, there's no there. You can't ju you can't justify. You can't make it right in your mind. You can't make this go away. And so I think that's the 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 enemy always comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Mm -hmm. White and black, yellow, brown. It, but Jesus came that we'd have life and life to the fullest. So God also always turns around what the enemy means for harm, and he's always trying to find a way, some way to go, man, I'm right. going to bring some good out of this. As horrible as that all is, COVID to George Floyd, there, God is at work in bringing some good with the, that the enemy still. But he's still at work. The enemy's still going to try to divide. He's still going to keep trying to. So that's the hard part is, as I go, I look at it and go, man, it's horrific. But Lord, is there any way to let that situation bring change about? Then we got to bring change about. So for Simple Church, we're talking about solving problems. I am working with the police department. I am trying to call out to some of my friends and go in San Antonio a different way to interact with, regardless of color, black, white, yellow, orange, it don't make no difference. And that's where everybody's willing to change. And if we're all willing to change, the way we see things, the way we behave, the way we view people, then we got a chance. But when you don't think, and, and Brandon, I think Brandon, both we said it yesterday, if you don't think there's a problem, then you ain't going to change. Right, right. But I know there's a problem, and, and America is waking up to, we know there's a problem. So then that's where we start going, well, what can I do? I can't change everything, right, but I can. Hey, man, can y'all come be on the pie? Hey, let's go eat. Mm -hmm. We can begin to do small Things that will add up to big things, but not letting it go away. Right, right. Not saying, well, that was then, and now let's move on. That's old news. Man, come on, bro. That's yeah. pretty tough. So yeah. anyway, I, I just see that as in the timing thing of what's going on with it, too. Absolutely. And let's be honest. Okay, let's call us out. Would we have Brandon and Brian here to do a podcast if it hadn't happened? No. Probably not, yeah. And that's sad. It's this sad. That's a, that's a fact, though, because it wasn't in my mind. I wasn't, Now, again— 
we work with people in the black community. I have friends in the black right. community. It wasn't that I, our heart was wrong. Right. I'm going, but we weren't having this conversation. Right. No. Right. No, we, that weren't, we, we weren't either. No. <laughs> right. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like, yeah. so now you go, all right, God, we got it. Yeah, we, it it's a blessing in this, man. Yeah. If we if we stick with the path. And we're going to. You know, if we stick with the path, it's a blessing in this, man. And I can see it down the road if we keep this going. And I see it going. I, I, I think that it's picked up so much momentum. It's hard to see this dying. Right. You know what yep. I'm saying? And because it's relationships, yep. it's hard to kill relationships, yep. man. You know what I'm saying? And that's what even it comes down to. Time doesn't even kill relationships. Nope. Me and this dude ain't seen each other and <laughs> right. worked together in years, but relationships it goes say, a long way. Listen, man. And that's why I'm saying. We started this thing together, bro. And that's why I'm saying we got to have black, white relationships. Yeah, relationships, man. You do. You got, And that starts. It's a long process right and and i I want to reiterate that it is a long process and so to everybody who's watching listening you know do understand we're dealing with over 400 years of of complications to this thing and you don't fix you know 400 year problems in four days and four months i think uh, pastor curry talked about that yesterday Mm -hmm. you know we want a quick fix but it's not going to be fit uh quick Um, but if we continue to path and continue to just do the small things, you know, uh, God told the Israelites, little by little, yep. you'll drive the enemy out. That's right. Uh, and if we do this little by little, so for those who are watching, asking, okay, well, what do we do now? Little by little, mm-hmm. you know, something as simple as this, well, we, we may not have changed legislation today, but we have at least presented um, an image of genuine relationship. Mm-hmm that creates a ground for understanding and perception. And so um, little by little, we, we will make progress and we'll see ourselves um, journey into that place where we've conquered Canaan. And if y'all can continue to help us, I'm going to let people ask questions. If y'all are willing to come back, we'll keep trying to work through our questions. Yes. And then you do the same for us. If there's something you want to ask, Please ask, because I don't think we – you're in a safe yeah. – in other words, there ain't, I'm, I don't – like I said yesterday, if we feel like either of us are going to attack, I ain't, it, it won't help us. We won't have true honesty and feeling. Yeah. And, and I don't want to – and I ain't, that ain't who we are, and that's what we're about. I just want to say, as we're working through that, thank you for doing this today. Thank you yeah. for sharing your stories. But as we continue, please feel free to yeah. ask us or bring whatever you can if there's something we can help you with as well. Man, thank you, and I got a great idea. I think we can – I think one thing we can do is bring our congregations together, not gathering, mm-hmm. but let's 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 identify a Saturday yeah. and a community and let's pool our resources together and let's just give in whatever way, whether that's paying for gas for everybody. Oh, absolutely. But let's do it together. Let's, let's do let's, it. Let's let's yep. the churches do it together. And we all stand out in that community together, white and black. Good. And, and and we do that, whether that's just giving gas, whatever it yeah, is. Let's do that. But yeah, I, I, that I, for, but yeah. publicly, I think it's time for us as black and white pastors to start doing ministry work together. Amen. I think that's powerful. And it I is. think we can do more. You know we what can. I'm saying? Oh, yeah. We'll um, definitely be I, I, church, our church by ourselves can only buy so many gas cars if that's what we were doing. Yeah. But if we go with Simple Church and then oh, we yeah. go with Brandon's Church together. 
Oh yeah, we can do more. That goes from one hundred to three hundred gas right. cars. That's, That's three hundred people. Right. That's right. As yeah, opposed to if we were doing it by myself, only yep. one. You see what I'm That's saying? That's good. No, it's yeah. solid. And I have a Jeep that gets like a mile per gallon. That'd be great. <laughs> see what I'm saying? He's gonna yeah. be first in line. <laughs> yeah. But, but something like that. Well, we turning him out. Yeah. And it no. ain't even traditional church because no, the I gathering like situation. But no, I, yeah. It's just Saturday. Absolutely. We outside and, and identify that community, that gas station, and we just there. We can figure it out. I yeah. like it. I yeah. like it. All right, thanks for listening, Brandon, Brian. Y'all taking care of us. We love you, dude. Love y'all. All All right, we got to get out. Until next time, peace, my brothers.